welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. In Devour the Day's debut single, Good Man, the singer repeatedly states that he wants to be a good man, but then asks, is there any good left in me, and am I worth the forgiveness I can't make myself believe? Lead teacher Randy Pope answers those questions while concluding the series, Excuses, 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 with putting it all together which covers Romans chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 3, verse 20. Thank you for joining us today. Now, Father, now we, we open your word and we ask that you would speak to our hearts. As we bring to conclusion the series, we pray that you would have worked already and would continue to work based on the truth that is transforming. Thank you for the freedom that comes from this truth. Prepare our hearts now, and we're thankful for the time. We ask all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we end an eight-week series in the book of Romans, chapter 1. After the introduction, we come to verse 18. 118 through 320 is the first segment of several segments of the book of Romans, 1 through 8. You turn to a practical section uh, beginning in... 9, particularly 12, but you've got a, another section, 9 through 11, that we don't, I have not been teaching as part of an ongoing process, but every year since we began Perimeter Church 36 plus years ago, I've been walking through the book of Romans, one segment at a time, building on each other until we finish through chapter 8. Go back to chapter 1. So we're back to chapter 1 now. We're coming through now the end of this series. We're entitling this series, Excuses, Excuses, Excuses. This week, putting it all together. I am convinced that if I had chosen to preach only Romans 1 through 8 for my entire ministry, that's all I'd ever preached, and you had been willing, which you wouldn't have, to just come back every time and go through Romans 1 through 8, Romans 1 through 8. Let me tell you, you would have missed a lot, a lot of important topics, subject matter. God's Word is all precious, and it is true. But I tell you what, if you heard Romans 1 through 8, and you digested it, you embraced it, you held on to it, you'd be amazed what would happen in your life. It is the foundation for a theological edifice that is absolutely second to none. I hope for all of you, you get this book and you understand it. And I'll tell you this, as rich and great as the rest of the book of chapter 3, Romans 3, 21 following, I'll tell you what, this is the foundation. If you don't really get what this is teaching, that we are without excuse, mankind is without excuse, that we are a guilty people before a holy God. Most of us don't buy into that fully, but you begin to see and understand what Paul is teaching under inspiration of God. And when you finally get over that hump and say, yes, there are none that have excuse, then the work of God becomes so much bigger, so much more important to you. It becomes life-transforming. We're going to look at this today, our time together, in three parts. The first part is, 
is going to be a, a summary, and literally it is going to be an overview summary of 118 through 320. I know there are a lot of you that are here for the first time. I've got a good friend here for the first time. I know there's some of you here for, hadn't been here ever. There are others of you that have come in midway through the series. You've picked up part of it. I'm going to give you the bigger, bigger, bigger picture. Hopefully, this is going to entice you to go back. Get the podcasts. They're free. Get to understand what Romans is having to say. But I also want to do it to, again, just put it back on our minds so that we can move into the second part. And the second part is what I mentioned halfway through the series, that at the end I would come back and I'm going to give you three words. These words are like keys that unlock the truths of how we take all of this teaching and make it applicable to our lives where it becomes a life changer. I mean, a true game changer for our lives. This, this will happen, but you've got to understand these three words. We're going to complete our time coming to the table as you see it before us. No better way to end the teaching of a series like this than to come to the table, which is going to take us right to the cross of Jesus. Okay? Let's do the first by giving an overview summary of these four excuses. Four excuses that mankind has used through history to excuse themselves before a holy God for not faithfully following, having a loving, obedient relationship with Jesus. So, the overview, first of four of our excuses. The first was that God is good. For you that weren't here, that meant there's the excuse, well, now wait, I, I know I'm not everything I need to be, but, but God is a good God. And God is not going to allow me to perish forever because he's too good to allow that. Here's how it says it in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. During that segment, we talked about, yes, God is a God of wrath. And it is revealed. But it is revealed righteously. Never does he compromise the perfection of his character by the fact that he's a God of wrath. In fact, were he not a God of wrath in a world of sin, he would be less than holy. It is a good thing. We talked about the reality that the reason that his wrath can be right, righteous is because we suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. And we talked about who the we is, it's everybody, and how we suppress the truth. So then we move to the second. The second of the arguments was this. All I never knew, meaning, Lord, whoa, 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 you cannot hold me guilty when I never understood the gospel. I didn't understand about Jesus. And what about people who have never, ever, ever heard the name of Jesus? I mean, places that have never heard the word. You're telling me those people? without excuse? Are you telling me that a little baby born into this world and dies within a short period of time isn't worthy of death eternally? Whoa, whoa, whoa. And we talked about the fact that doesn't mean that every baby, that a baby when it dies, it does not go to heaven. We explain that. But the point is we all deserve it. God can choose to do what he chooses to do, but we hit some pretty hard subject matter. What about people who, who have no mental capabilities? but are living life on this earth. You're telling me they're without excuse? Yes, they are without excuse. And so, never knew? Well, 
would maybe be appropriate to say it's not fair under four conditions of which none of them exist. So we talk about these as four presuppositions. I want to review this because this was the heart of the teaching. Number one, if that person were not guilty of rebellion, then that person should not be held guilty. So you're mean to tell me that every single person? Yes. How come? Because of the innate knowledge of God. But what are you? You don't have awareness. You can't. And there I introduced what I said then was perhaps the most important teaching that you're going to hear. And in fact, I would bet that you could go survey churches, be, I mean, all over this place and say, can you explain to me why it is that somebody brought into this world is conceived in sin, brought into this world in sin and held responsible for sin that we never did. It goes back to Adam, chapter 5 of Romans, that in Adam we all die, meaning we deserve death. Oh, oh, oh. And there I said, got to understand this. It's the teaching in God's Word that has been called, for theological purposes, corporate personality. And I said then, if you don't understand corporate personality, why it is so right that someone like you or me brought into this world in sin, deserving separation from God, if you don't understand that, you don't really understand the grace of God and what happens. It's corporate personality, meaning that God treats everyone as one whole, as if one person, it's the only reason, because that exists that we on the other side can come into God's family and be considered fully righteous. If you don't get that, then your Christianity is still on the level of saying, oh, I'm a Christian because I follow Jesus. Oh, no. You're not going to heaven because you follow Jesus. You follow Jesus because you're going to heaven. Because God has done something in your heart. And that's because you've been made righteous by the work of Jesus. And so that one, if you get none other, go and understand that teaching. That is so vitally important. Next was a, a uh, second presupposition. Well, if that person generally wanted to know God, and so we, we introduced and talked about the realities of the condition of man's heart, that uh, we're dead in our transgressions. We're not wounded. We're not drowning we're dead in our trespasses, and we discussed that. Number three, if God were obligated to provide a Savior, a lot of us tend to assume that, well, God really owes it to send a Savior. No, he didn't owe that at all. Uh, it, it's an issue of, if it's only an issue of justice, which God is just, he didn't have to send his son. So what if God had never sent a Savior? What would happen to all mankind? The answer is we would all perish. And then we say, that's not fair? Well, no, no, no. He doesn't owe us grace. Grace is unmerited, un unwarranted favor. That's why our salvation, as the Christian church has said through its history, is by grace alone. Therefore, I taught then how it would never be appropriate to say or to think, hey, this isn't fair. Why do bad things happen to good people? There's no such thing as a truly good person. And the scriptures go into that. I'm not reading the whole text, it's too long. But number four, and the, the, uh, the fourth presupposition, 
if it were wrong to treat people differently. And there is a presupposition among many of us that God is only fair if he treats everyone the same. Well, now, wait, 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 wait. How can he do good to these people, but he doesn't do good to these people? Well, he uses a parable. Jesus uses a parable in Matthew 20, the parable of the vineyard laborers, to settle that case forever. He say, no, 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 no. I cannot be unjust with anybody, but I don't have to show grace in the same way to everybody. Hard teaching, but important. You know, I had a man, an old scholar of the faith and a godly, godly man. He told me one day, and this is a PhD, I mean, this guy just, he walked with God too. I'm telling you, he's an amazing man. Probably 25 years my senior. He looked at me one day and I was struggling with some of this stuff. The young, young believer. He looked at me and he said, you remember this, Randy. You never learn good theology. You earn good theology. And you will wrestle with it. You may shed some tears over it, which I did. It's going to be hard to get to the ultimate truth. You've got to pursue and work. But that truth will set you free. Don't give up the fight. And I'm telling you, it is so true. And I'm still pursuing the truth and still finding freedom as a result of going further. I'm telling you, it is so true. These truths so vitally important. The third of the excuses, simply this, God made me the way I am. This was a tough text, uh, chapter 1, 21 uh, through 32. In this particular passage, boy, we, uh, we dealt with some hard things. We really talked about the sequential decline of man in sin, individually and corporately as a people. Here's how it happens. There were five steps given in the text. We covered this over two weeks. The first step was it begins with irreverence and ingratitude. That's where it all begins. And it leads to a second step. And the second step, idolatry. We talked about the various idols, uh, those that have often been called functional saviors that we look to and we say, if I don't get this, if I don't have that, then I cannot be satisfied. If I lose this, I cannot be satisfied. Those are our functional saviors. They may be good things. They may be bad things. doesn't matter. But when we cling to them saying, I got to have it to be happy, whoa, 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 not true. So we talked about those idols and how to deal with idols. Then we come to the third, and that is third step is impurity. Number four step was Degrading passions, and this is what contained the text that has homosexuality in it. And we talked about same-sex attraction and talked about some of the myths of the Christian church that we don't understand and some of the wrong approaches that have been taken and how to really understand what causes someone to have uh, same-sex attraction. Tried to deal with those issues as you have to bring in the corporate personality issue of sin. Tried to deal with that as best we could. And then the fifth step depraved minds and so we walked through some hard teaching there but very important stuff now we come to the fourth and final that we cover the last two weeks and that's simply the argument well wait 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 I am both moral and I'm religious doesn't that count for something and the bottom line teaching was it counted for nothing morality and religion does nothing to aid us. Chapter 2, 1 through 3, 20. 
And we covered all of that. Now, bottom line, man is guilty and without excuse. I do not believe all of us would agree. I wouldn't expect that. But I hope you'll hear a different teaching than what you've taught before if you believe something different. And at least you would just consider this teaching. Ask yourself, is this what the Word of God says? If so, you'll be blessed to embrace it. I'll tell you this, when you realize you're guilty and you have no excuse, when the grace of God comes your way, oh my goodness, will you revere God and will you be grateful? Which, if you remember, is what was necessary not to go into the decline to begin with. It's the very way to come out. Very important stuff. So that ends the teaching of the book of Romans, 118 through 320. What I want to do is something I promised midway through the series when we were talking about the decline and the five steps we just talked about. I said at the very end, I'm going to come back and I'm going to use three words that I think capture a teaching that's very, very important for us to understand. These three words in a sense, are going to unlock the door to freedom from sin. And I'm talking about the freedom from the, the power of sin, not fully from the presence of sin. We've been forgiven the penalty already, but there's a power of sin that reigns. And God has broken the power to give us a new ability. But I think we've shortchanged the teaching about how do you get there? What do you do in order for recovery in sin arenas of our lives? If you've been here any time at all, you know that I'm going to, week in and week out, take you to the cross. We'll teach the text, and the text, you will find it leading somehow to Jesus, directly or indirectly. And I'm going to take you to the cross because just to try harder and to do what the Bible says Oh, there's some temporal benefits, but nothing eternal. It's got to be with the right heart. It's got to be with the right power. And so you got to go to the cross to get that. But if you've gone to the cross, you're going you're to have some responses. And the three responses are captured in these three words. I'm not saying these are the only responses, but they're three vital, vital, vital responses. Now, when I say go to the cross, I'm not talking about go to a, a, an imaginary or real cross and sit there and stand there and gaze. That's not it at all. I'm talking about go to the realities of what took place on the cross, the death of Jesus, why he died, the implications of his death for you. As your understanding of the work of Christ grows bigger and bigger and bigger, you keep going to understand more and more. And the more you think about what you already know or learn new things about his work, it makes a huge difference in your heart. The greatest of motivations for the responses that we're about to walk through. Well, let me capture these in these three words. The first word is the word repent. Repent. I talk about that a lot around here. I've, you've heard my definition. If you've been here for years, you've heard it dozens of times. I don't think I can say it too much because we need to be repenting all day long. Every time we see sin coming into our experience, we need to say, okay, I need to repent. So we better know what it is. 
As I always say, repentance is a, it's three steps. It's the, the first step is, many of you know, that's where we say, I'm wrong. I admit it. I'm wrong. If you don't admit it, no way to repent. But you can't just say, okay, I'm wrong. I'm going to do it again tomorrow. I don't care. I'll confess it's wrong tomorrow. I'll do it again tomorrow. And next day and the next day, I'll just keep saying it's wrong. I've repented. No, you haven't. The next step is we are remorseful, regretful for what we've done. And we say, I do not want it to do again. I'm not planning to do it again. I may fail and do it again, but it's certainly not my intention. And then the third step, you can't just stop there. You've got to go to the next step, which says, I'm going back into the open arms of a loving father. Remember? Saying that your love is enough for me. It's getting back to the reality that I had a, I had a functional Savior, and that's not the Savior. You're the Savior, and, and you're enough. You can save me alone. I don't need that. I don't need you and that. I, I just need you. And so you admit that to the Lord. Now, having understood that, that that's what, that's what repentance is, I hope you'll kind of get the idea that from the teaching here we've had that, that going with the sin that is the obvious is not always as far as you need to go. Okay, you had a bad, bad, bad fight with your spouse. You said things that were damaging and hurtful. You're sorry for what you did. You ask your spouse to forgive you. You ask your God to forgive you. But the reality is there is a sin beneath that sin. We taught that in the idols and so forth. But you can go down to the very things we taught here. What about irreverence to God who says, love your husband, love your wife? What about the ingratitude the ingratitude to God who's given you so much to steward and you haven't stewarded it. But you can move right on down to the, the idols of life, the impurities. You can just keep going on. So that teaching helps us understand a lot of the underbelly of the issues that we're dealing with. Very important. But there is another dimension that is often left out in the teaching of, of the truth of sin. And that is there are other factors that come into the equation of our experience that have to be considered if we're going to successfully deal with sinful behaviors. For instance, there are dysfunctional family backgrounds that we perhaps had nothing to do with, but we were thrown into it by our birth. And maybe there are psychological or chemical type of issues that we have to face. How about sexual disorders? If you heard the teaching earlier in the series about same-sex attraction and other sexual issues, we have to understand there are disorders in those arenas. And as you heard the teaching, not to say, okay, that's not our fault, we're okay, we're good, no problem. No. But these issues complicate the issue significantly. Here's the point. Hear this. Repentance alone always brings forgiveness. Hear this? Repentance, just repentance, it will bring forgiveness. But it does not necessarily give us the ability to overcome the sin behavior. Forgiven, yes, but maybe not the power. Maybe not the ability to be able to do so. There are 
There's an understanding we need to have the, about addictions. All sin is an addiction. Sin, we're, we're all sin addicts. You get that? I'm a sin addict. You're a sin addict. We're recovering if Christians. The penalty's been dealt with. Now the power, that's the whole issue we have to deal with. In fact, there's a... Um, one person puts it this way. Put up the quote that we have here. It says, sin is the universal addiction to self caused by individuals putting themselves in the center of their personal world in a way that leads to abuse of others and self. I like that. Important teaching. It's been said that addiction is any compulsive, habitual behavior that limits the freedom of human desire. I just yesterday got a... Uh, Someone shared with me uh, a difference. What is the difference between the typical sin issues that we face that we can deal with and they're immediately resolved and those that are really addictive areas of life? The addictive areas, repetitive, degenerative, or progressive, they're unmanageable. And let me tell you, there are a lot of people here that are dealing with addictions. A lot of us here have addictions, and it doesn't have to be chemical, it doesn't have to be sexual. Some of us have, have addictions that are so deeply rooted into our experience that we are not finding it in our capability to overcome some areas of challenge. So, repentance, forgiveness, yes, but maybe not the ability to overcome. And so watch out if the teaching you've heard or understood is, if you repent, you should be able to stop anything immediately right then. I don't think that's true. That's why there are two other keys. The second key, I'm going to term reveal. The word reveal. Past experiences often affect present problems. Many of them bring great issues into our experience. You see, the brain is said to be like a black box. It records data, and it records everything. It records every detail so perfectly. The reality is that when the past and the present can't be sorted out and put in proper balance, then there are a lot of disorders and issues that come in life, including addictions and depression and irrational thinking and irrational behavior. Many of us here are on medications because of, of conditions that we have. And you go, where did that condition come from? Why do I have that condition? I just need to stop right now. I will no longer be, and we put whatever the condition is. No, it's not going to happen that way. The past contributes to many of our insecurities. Not all of them, but many of them. It contributes to the inability for some of us to say no. I'm just cannot say no, even though you know it's going to get you in trouble to say yes. Or some of us have no ability, or let me put it this way, we're in such a condition we have to be in control. We're control freaks. If, if you don't do it this way and you don't do it the way I want it to be done, this, then it's no good. No. And often those come out of issues of the past. Here's the point. We need people to help us. We're not going to get through our addictions. We're not going to get through our deep-rooted issues without people entering into our life experience. Some of us need people in different ways. 
I mean, we know this, many of our problems come through broken relationships and much of our healing comes through healthy relationships. So we've got to have people in the process. The reality is that everyone needs needs help of some kind, but some need professional help. We need to invite people into our experience, yes, but sometimes we need actual professional help to guide us through that, understand black boxes of the brain better than, than the typical person does. We need to be utilizing that. We need to realize that memories lie to us, and we can't sort out what's true and what's not. But the right person can come in and can help us do that kind of thing. I'll tell you this, I know this, that healing comes when lies are replaced with truth. And I know that the Word of God, you shall know the truth, the truth shall set you free. But often we can see the Word of God, but we can't understand how that truth is applied in our experience because our brains lie to us. Third party, sometimes untrained, good enough. They can be the third party to counsel and help. Others need those that are so well prepared and equipped can help us walk through that. Very important. God normally uses people. So I'm going to conclude this second word by strongly encouraging whoever this applies to, some of us here need to go to rehab. I am familiar with the type of issues that we're dealing with in the life of this church and its people. And there's some of you that are trying to fight a fight without the rehab you need. To whatever extent you can and can be afforded, can find help to get there, get help from the best of the best over the long haul. Others don't need rehab, but I tell you what you need. You need some counselors, and some need some very, very excellent counselors that can be provided around, but some just need counselors, period, just friends, the counsel. They don't have to be trained. For others, you don't even need the counselor so much. You just need, a, you need to be in something like a discipleship group. You know what discipleship does? Discipleship is opening the door of your heart to other people, men with men, women with women, saying, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be real with you. This is what's inside me. It's pretty, pretty nasty in there, isn't it? It needs cleaned up a lot, doesn't it? And would you come in and would you help me clean out? And by the way, you know, I'd like to help any way I can. If you'll invite me into your heart, I'll try to help you, whatever I can do to help you. And together, a brotherhood, a sisterhood begins to work together to see the life changed. Critically important. And for some, maybe can't be in our journey. Journeys group's just now kicking off. Not too late. Some of you want to get involved. Let us know. See if we can find a group for you. But you need to be in a small group at least. You need to have friends. Everybody needs intimate friends. Some, everybody needs people they can call on to help in their personal struggles. By the way, in January, we're going to be launching here. We'll be launching a whole new small group ministry. It's going to be a very important part of the life of this church. We'll help you now get in whatever, but in January, we can help you in even a better way. But you need people. If you're living isolated Please know, if you're not struggling now, you're going to, and you're not going to get out of the struggles without other people. People are important. Third and final word, the word rely. If repentance requires accepting responsibility and revealing requires proper relationships, this word relying requires resting in Christ. Resting is another word for trusting. 
carries the idea of identification, that we have to be identified with Christ for who he is and who we are in him. It's now changing the image that I'm just a follower of Jesus, but no, 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 I, I have been made righteous with the righteousness of Jesus, that I'm seated with him in the heavenly places, that I share authority, unbelievable, and I began to see myself in a totally different realm And it's resting on the realities of what he's done in me and what he is doing with me now. To understand that is huge. It's seeing ourselves in Christ, not how we feel about who we are. And it's learning to identify more with who he is and who we are in him than identifying with how we feel and what we think about us. So very important that we move in that direction. Here's the truth. I wrote it out. This is so important. Please hear this. There are some of us who may never be free. In fact, I'm going to say all of us in different issues may never be free from the feelings of desire for certain sins. But we can be free from the bondage of those sins. Did you hear that? You can apply it to same-sex marriage and every other issue that we've dealt with. Do you mean to tell me that I could actually have attraction to do something that's inappropriate and not be held accountable for sin in that arena? Absolutely. In fact, I've got an area that's really bad that I'm battling. I deal with it every day. I'm constantly having to apply these three things. It's a deep, deep, deep sense of selfishness. Oh, my goodness, how selfish I can be. And I have to be careful. It can take me over. It can be, control me. Now, do you think, and I'm going to say, well, oh, my goodness, then I can't be held because I'm, I mean, you know, that's just the way I feel. I feel selfish about things. That's just the way I feel. Well, sure I do. And I'll probably feel that way for the rest of my life. And I don't feel bad that I every day have to confess it multiple times and deal with the power to overcome it. But I can overcome it. I can deal with it issue by issue by issue and understand that, okay, this is something that is not. I can do that. A person that's just naturally just wired with a temper, just in everything in them, they can, they can deal with that. But because they're always going to be one that would immediately go, whoop, no, but you don't, have to, you don't have to pursue that anger. You have to understand that truth. Christ has broken the power on the cross. But the way that we're going to really be able to overcome is by appropriating the power of God's Spirit. Chapter 6 of Romans, 1 through 14, most critically important teaching. I would encourage you, if you don't know how to appropriate the power, don't have time now to walk through it, but go to prima.org slash pope, 17-minute teaching on how to appropriate the power. I point people there all the time. I say, if I can only say one thing, go get that. Go get that. Go get that. Because you need to know how to appropriate the power. The point is this, folks. Willpower will no longer work. Willpower, nope, in fact, not no longer work, it never did work. Now we have an ability from God. Now we've got to rest on his power. Please, 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 as you approach your issues of life, as I approach my issues of life, remember those three words. Just remember those repent, reveal, Rely. 
And just say it over and over. Go over it and over. Pray through it over. I'm going to invite you now to come to the table and pray over it in the presence of the table. The table takes us to the cross. And the cross takes us to the responses. This is going to be a stare at the cross. That means the work of Jesus. Some of you have, many of you haven't been to the membership class here. I tell a, a very, very challenging story in my life. Most painful experience I've ever gone through. And it had to do with the loss of my father. Not death, much worse than death. And in that process, I hadn't seen my father for years and years and years. Some of you remember this. And I was handed a picture by my mother of my father that she'd found and wondered if I wanted. I see this picture, and something happened in me when I saw that picture. As I say, it started here, and it just lodged right up here in the throat. And I saw myself diving off the shoulders of my father in a public swimming pool. Huh. Where'd that picture come from? Well, the picture says more than a thousand words. This is a picture. This is a picture which is both a remembrance and a proclamation. 1 Corinthians 11 says it's a remembrance. So we should sit here and remember, remember what Christ has done. Go back to the history of the cross and picture what happened there and why he did it, the implications of it. It's a remembrance. But it's also a proclamation saying there's something better yet to come. It tells the story past, reminds us, but it proclaims the story yet to come. We put those two together. Wow. I'm going to encourage you during this particular time of the table, communion, I'm going to invite you, if you will, to take the three words and take them to prayer before the Lord with the realities that grace comes through these elements. We don't understand exactly how. It's a mystical thing, but it is a means of grace. And he says, you think on the truth with a surrendered heart and something happens. He's given us the table. Let's take it with him. Let's take it with him. The Bible does say in 1 Corinthians 11, it pursues a little further, and it says, look, now don't, don't take the table unwarranted. There's sin in your heart you're not willing to repent of and deal with. Don't come to the table, even if you're obviously a Christian. But if you're not a Christian, you shouldn't come to the table. It says we eat and drink judgment to ourselves. Through the history of the church, there's been a teaching that who is to be considered a Christian and who's to be considered. Well, it doesn't mean nobody can read hearts. It's but it has to be, well, are you a member in good standing of a true church that, that utilized the authority of the church to declare you as a member of the church, thus to be treated as a Christian? Are there people that are in that condition that are not Christians? Sure. But that's how we know. And so really, we invite anybody, a member of any church, and that would be this church, a true Bible would come. If not, become a member. Come enjoy the benefits of the table. So if you're not prepared or qualified, whatever reason to come to the table, use it as a time. As a Christian, just pray. Think about the issues that can get you here to the table. Somebody's struggling with something to say, Lord, I'm sorry, but please know this. This table is not for people who have it together. If you got your issues, your struggles, but in your heart you're saying, I want to get to obedience. I'm willing and I want it. You come to the table. That's the heart he wants to, to feed. And so together we'll pray. The table will be prepared as we prepare our hearts. Let's bow. Our Father in heaven, we bow now to say thank you for the table. Prepare our hearts for it right now. Pray that you would grant us to 
Take these three words and find them capturing our hearts and minds to, as we're drawn to the cross and might see your love that motivates us to respond with all three. Hear us now and receive us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. This is from the Lord. He says, I want you to have a meal with me. It's a remembrance. It's a proclamation. And know this. He says, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. Enjoy the table. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.